Hey, what's up, everybody? How you doing today? All right, good to see you guys. Come on, that was some good praise, some good worship. You know it's good worship when you, when you actually injure yourself. I think I injured my knee during worship because I was power praising when you step forward. Come on, and you're, you're into the song, and my knee hurts a little bit, so uh, I'm just going to be stretching it out up here. My name's Jake. I'm the pastor here along with my wife, Bethany. We're so glad you're here. Everybody that's here, whether this is your first time or your 500th time or sometime in between, really excited about what God is doing today. What an awesome time already just being in God's presence. I already am just pumped and excited and we haven't even talked yet. We've just sung, uh, but God is here in this place and I'm really excited about that. So we are in a series, guys, as you can see from the bumper video there called Trending. And uh, what we're doing in this series is we are looking to connect with God's timeless truth in the midst of turbulent times when what's trending isn't necessarily what's true. And I, I got through that without stumbling. That's an impressive feat. Uh, but we're talking about connecting with God's timeless truth. You know, things change over time, but what's true does not actually change. Trends come, trends go. And even in the area of religion and faith and uh, it, it, philosophy and even morality, from time to time, what maybe your grandma and grandpa thought about things actually changes. And so where do we find kind of a reference point, an anchor point? Well, Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter seven. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. So it's not enough just to listen, right? Maybe you're a church person. That doesn't mean you're really following Jesus. It means you might be listening to Jesus. That's different. My kids a lot of times hear me. What? But it's not just about hearing. It's about doing. It's about putting it into practice. Jesus said, if you hear my teaching and follow it, you're wise like a person who builds their house on solid rock. So we want to build on the foundation of Christ, the foundation of God's truth it says, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. And he gives a contrast. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. And again, when the storms of life come, that house is going to collapse. So how many of you know, this is an easy answer. This isn't a trick question in church. Do I want my life to be built on rock or on sand? And the answer is rock. Everybody gets a gold star. Come on, this is good. You can all go out and go out to get, get the best food today after church today. You all earned it. Um, we we want to build our life on the truth of God. And so that's what we're talking about in this series, anchoring our life into God's truth. So today we're going to take on a topic uh, that I think is, is really meaningful for everybody that's here today, whether you are a card-carrying, Bible-believing you know, scripture quoting Jesus follower Christian. Come on, who's over saved in here, right? You tell people on the street, bless you in Jesus' name. You know, you, you get coffee. When somebody sneezes, you don't say gesundheit. You say bless you. You know, you know that you're like, you've got it, right? You're, you're locked in. Whether you're that person or whether you're a skeptic who's here today, kind of kicking the tires, trying to find out what's up with this Christian thing, uh, what's going on here. This message today is going to speak, I think, to everybody and have something of value and worth for all of us. So today we're going to ask this question, what's the deal with the Bible? What's the deal with the Bible? Now, how many of you would say, whether you're a Christian or not, at least you're recognizing the fact that Christians tend to hold on to this book. I should have my actual analog Bible, but I've got my digital Bible here. I read it in my U version of my iPad or my phone or whatever. 
Uh, but how many of you would know that Christians tend to use this book, the Bible, and they'll say things like, well, the Bible says, right? Uh, well, why do you think this? Well, the Bible says, or scriptures it say, or it, it is written. And how many of you know that Christians tend to be aligned, or at least in some way, in kind of the camp of people that use this book, the Bible? How many of you would say, yes, that's, that's true? Okay, it's not a trick question. It's, we recognize that. But maybe you're here today and you're, you're like, yeah, I believe the Bible. It's God's word. I, I say the Bible says, and I, 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 I want to follow it, and I want to live my life by it. Or maybe you kind of are like skeptical. That's fine. But we recognize that the Bible is meaningful as the authority. It's kind of the backdrop for Christianity and the backdrop for Christians. And at least in some way, the Bible should be giving us kind of the scope and the trajectory of how we should live our lives. We're, we're aware of that, right? But we live in this day and age in which there's this view that often gets tossed around that the Bible is this irrelevant, ancient document, and really it's full of contradictions and problems. And so why should we in the 21st century, sort of at the height of knowledge and scientific understanding, why should we accept what this ancient book says and, and, and why should we live by it? Because we've sort of graduated past this point. Now, if you're like this Bible-believing Christian, how many of you know, actually today, if you, if you were to like quote scripture on Twitter or Facebook, if you're like, well, it actually says in the first book of James, you know, James 1, or, or it says in, you know, 1 Peter 5, it actually says this, that you actually, not only will people maybe think that you're irrelevant, but actually you'll probably get a little bit of pushback, right? Which is interesting because culture has really shifted, right? Like, 50 years ago, you could say, well, the Bible says, and, and most people would be like, okay, not that it, people were necessarily actually following Jesus or actually really bought in at that time in history, but at least it was kind of more in the cultural milieu. How about that? Uh, and it was, it was kind of acceptable. But now there's a lot of pushback, and the Bible is really seen as sort of kind of full of holes, and it's outdated and all this kind of stuff. Now, I want to lean into this a little bit. We're going to talk about this today, why I believe that as thinking people, rational people, reasonable people in the 21st century, with all of the knowledge and everything that we've sort of amassed as a people group, why we should actually accept the teaching of the Bible and actually use it as a reference point uh, for truth. Why should we do that? But first, I want to lean into the fact that it makes sense to me when I sort of take off my, my oversaved glasses and my my, my uh, audio adrenaline shirts and stuff that I got at Christian concerts in the 90s, like when I get take that stuff off, and I forget all the DC talk lyrics and everything. And, and, I, and I actually put my Twilight Paris tracks away. And, and even I go back as far and like my Keith Green, I just shelve it. You know what I mean? All that stuff. I sort of step out of my Christian uh, kind of place. And when I look into and examine the idea that the Bible is, is kind of out there, it makes a lot of sense. Because really, I mean, you look at the Bible and it starts off with two naked people and a talking snake. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's in there. You get two naked people and a talking snake. And then the talking snake is also like convincing them to eat fruit, which really ticks God off. And then he's mad and he kicks them out of his garden. And, and right from the very beginning, if you don't really get it, it's kind of like, this is weird, right? This is a weird book. And then when you get to Genesis chapter six, and then you have these angels making giant babies. Seriously, it's in there. It's like my favorite thing to talk about. My wife won't let me preach it here. It's too out there. But if you want to, let's talk to me. Genesis 6, it's a pretty weird thing. And then there's a big flood and God wipes the whole world out. And then the guy that he saves is a man named Noah. So Noah was like the only righteous man. But Noah, I mean, he, he really showed us true commitment. Noah wanted to get drunk so bad 
that he planted a vineyard and waited for it to come to vintage, right? And then makes wine and gets drunk. Now, I'm against drunkenness, right? It destroys a lot of lives, but that's true commitment right there. You know what I mean? Like, he really, really, uh, you know, took his time. Uh, and this is like God's guy. That We're only like in the first couple chapters. And then if you go to the second book of the Bible, you find out that God sends his chosen people, the people that are following God, into slavery for 400 years. And you're like, God, what are you doing? And this is right in the first couple books. And then they go into the desert and they're wandering around and there's like, there's water coming out of rocks and the weird stuff's going on. God's doing miracles and there's like plagues. And, you know, we all know these kind of stories in the Ten Commandments. And we all sort of have this like backdrop kind of understanding. But like when somebody's approaching the Bible sort of for the first time, you got to recognize like it's kind of weird, right? It's a little foreign. It's strange. When you go through the book of the Bible, when you go through the, the books, you have book after book of Israel. They're just messing stuff up. You ever read the book of Judges? There is some weird stuff in there. If you made the book of Judges into a TV miniseries, it would put Game of Thrones into the PG category. Like, there's weird stuff in there. People are getting chopped up. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. There's war. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And that's in the Bible. Some of you are like, what book is that? I want to read that. <laughs> book of Judges. And then you have the prophets. And then you get to the New Testament. And here's Jesus and he shows up and then his disciples, like his dudes, the, his crew, they're messing up left and right. And Jesus even calls his main guy, Peter, Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. And you're like, if these guys didn't get it, who's going to get it? And then you think, okay, if I'm writing the Bible, first of all, it's going to have a nice table of contents. Step one, I'm God, you're not. Follow my rules. Step two, love Jesus. Step three, at the end, everybody goes to heaven. It's like one, two, three, nice and easy. We wrap it up. There's a nice summation and conclusion. The very last book of my, my Bible would be very, you know, very clear, very kind of like, let's put it all together. But if you actually look at the real Bible and you go in and the very last book is like the most confusing book of them all. How many of you that are Christians are like, yeah, it's true. You know, I mean, that's why you all bought 19,000 books of like Tim LaHaye and Left Behind. He just kept writing and there's like 50 of them. And don't lie to me. You're, I see them at your yard sales. You have them because you wanted to understand what does this mean? And so we're like, who's the beast? Oh, it must be Obama. No, it's Trump. No, it's this person. And we're trying to figure it out. And the, 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 the reality is nobody knows what Revelation means. People have been arguing about it for thousands of years. And, and there's some good ideas. You're like, no, I know. I know exactly when Jesus is coming back because I have a guy and he has a number system where we figured it out and there's a moon and there's stars and there's this. And you're like, you're doing Harry Potter. That's not biblical research, okay? <laughs> God, what are you doing? Why is your book so confusing? God, like, I thought it was supposed to be basic instructions before leaving earth. It's not. It's actually fairly unclear. So why should people in the 21st century accept it? Well, let's kind of go back to the beginning. You see, believing that God actually would communicate in the written form makes a lot of sense when you understand that the God of the Christian faith, the God that we serve, he is an infinite personal God. He's a God that communicates, a God that wants to know us and be known by us. And I want you to think about if God, who's so far above the way we think and operate and also has to communicate not just to you and I in the 21st century, but to ancient peoples thousands of years ago, that has to communicate who he is, what he's up to, and sort of what your place and my place in this grand cosmic story is, how would he go about doing that? Have any of you ever played the game Telephone? So for instance, if I were to say, I'm going to boil down the essence of Jacob Schmelzer, and I'm going to tell Tamara here on the front row, 
and I'm going to give it to her, and she's going to pass it on, and it's going to come all the way back to the back corner. How many of you know what you guys would hear back there would be completely different than what I communicated to her, even if everybody did their very best? So what do we do when we want to convey information and keep clarity and keep it intact? What do we do? We write it down. In fact, the more important something is we also write it down, right? How many of you, uh, when you sign a contract, you don't just want it to be like, take my word for it, right? No, you're like, I want it in writing. Why? Because it, it, it actually validates and keeps something, the purity of something. So you think about God wanting to communicate. He's going to communicate in a way that actually can be passed on, something that will actually carry through time and history. But then you have another problem is that if you're communicating with people, uh, of a certain time period, there has to be a level where you communicate to, so that they understand, but that also is able to transcend time and history and culture. And so therefore, the Bible isn't just written where only the people that originally heard it could understand. It's also written in a way that would communicate to us. And so therefore, there's a diversity within Scripture where the Bible isn't all written as historical narrative. It's not all written as poetry. It's not all written as apocryphal or ap- 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 apocalyptic literature. There's a diversity, and yet there's a unity. There's theme, there's topic. Therefore, so God can get his message to us. Uh, and so the, the belief in the Bible and why we accept this, that God would even do this initially is because we believe in this infinite personal God that communicates and wants to get his word, his meaning. He wants us to get kind of the big picture, and this is the way he chose to do it. Are you with me? Okay, so let me go through a couple of things, though, that the Bible is not. So the Bible isn't, number one, it's not a book of rules. So this is for Christians and non-Christians alike, believers and skeptics alike. We tend to look at the Bible, and we really want to render it down to make it very easily digestible, consumable, and applicable to our day-to-day life. And one of the easiest things would be if it was just to do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. God, I just want you to give me all the rules so I know how close I can get to the line so that I don't cross it, so then I go to hell and burn, you know, forever, right? So that's how we think, isn't it? It's like, well, I, I want the Bible to tell me, well, don't do this and, and don't do that. Well, that's actually not what the Bible is. It's not this book of rules. It's really not about control. Actually, the Bible is telling the story about a God that wants to unlock you as a human being and align you with his original purpose for what you were made to be so that you can actually experience freedom and flourishing, So yes, there are rules within the Bible, but the Bible is not designed to be like, here's the rules and uh, and you like it or you lump it. Um, That's not really not what it is. So maybe you've you've, you've had somebody teach the Bible to you or use the Bible against you, like wield it against you and say, here's the rules and you're out of bounds. and And that's like not what God was intending it to be. Okay, so just hold on to that. Number two, it's not a book of myths or fairy tales. We need to understand that the writers of Scripture, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when they mean to, they're purporting to be historical. They're actually writing historical fact. So what you're going to find as you lean into serious Bible study and serious biblical criticism from an intellectual point of view is that everybody is approaching the Bible with their own embedded presuppositions and assumptions. So one of the things that has shaped uh, the modern world and even the way we approach it just coming out of our cultural moment is that we are shaped by what's called naturalism, which is the belief like Carl Sagan famously said that the cosmos is all there is, all there was, and all there ever will be. And anything that is supernatural doesn't fit into this worldview. And therefore it's automatically untrue. Therefore there are certain people that will come to the scripture and the minute they see the talking snake, they go, this is obviously myth. It's obviously a fairy tale. It's obviously not true. 
And, and the problem, though, is that the writers of Scripture many times are actually saying these are historical events. And so the Bible is not a book of myths or fairy tales. And we're going to jump into this more and talk about this. But I want you to understand, if you, even as a skeptic, that this is something you've got you to like take in, that actually the Bible is not, not trying to just tell fairy tales. Now, there are things in the Bible that are allegorical or metaphorical, so on and so forth. And we'll, we'll go into that. But it's not a book of myths or fairy tales. Number three, it's not a textbook. So I'm going to hit some Christians where it hurts right here. The earth is 6,000 years old, and that's how it is. And if you don't believe that, then you're not a Christian. You're going to burn in hell forever because my Bible said. Because your Bible is a textbook. No, it's not a textbook. Do you know that many times in the Bible, there's science, there's history, there's philosophy. But the Bible was not written to be a textbook so that you would have a perfect understanding of everything about the world and everything about science so many of the verses I grew up hearing, oh, the Bible says, you know, that God sits upon the encircled the earth, and that means he knew the earth was round even thousands of years ago. And you're like, no, they, those people didn't think that. A lot of the Bible, the science that's actually depicted is incorrect. I don't know if you, you realize that, and some of you are vastly offended. Don't worry, I'll, I'll help you process through this offense. You know, just give me some grace here while I explain myself. The, the people that, that God used to write the Bible, their understanding of the science of the world, they actually saw the earth as in three realms, heaven, earth, and the underworld. And so there's verses in the Bible that talk about the pillars of the earth. And what they're actually reflecting is an ancient understanding that there was these pillars that held up the earth. Now, if you're reading the Bible incorrectly from a 21st century perspective, trying to read a scientific understanding into scripture, you're practicing what's known as eisegesis, which is to read your modern understanding into an ancient document rather than exegesis, which is to pull out the meaning, which is to say, what did the original author mean to, to indicate here? So let's go back to Genesis chapter one. What does God mean to indicate as he's telling probably Moses who wrote the book of Genesis, uh, what is God wanting us to get out of Genesis one? He doesn't care if you think the earth is 6,000 or 600,000 or 6 billion years. It doesn't actually matter. Because the intent of Genesis chapter 1 is not to give you a specific number so you can show people how smart you are. It's to get you to understand that God is responsible for everything. Okay, so if your faith is based in this idea, well, the earth is 6,000 years old, and if somebody comes along and says, well, it could be 6 billion years old, ah! you have a ridiculously immature faith. Come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? What is the author of this book trying to indicate to us? Not, not a scientific textbook. And I'm not saying the Bible's anti-scientific. It's not. In fact, so all of modern science is based on the premise that the universe is actually knowable, that there is design woven into it. I would, I would contend today that actually the biblical worldview is truly a scientific worldview, that the great titans of scientific understanding of the past centuries, men like Isaac Newton, believed that there was principles and law woven into the fabric of the physical universe because they believed in a creative designer. It's very scientific, but it's not just the way that we think because we're looking for a textbook, right? We're like, this is exactly how it is, but that's not what it was written as, okay? It was actually written to convey meaning across time and space and culture so you have to understand that. And this is actually going to broaden and give you more appreciation for God's word and give you more appreciation for what the Bible is. So what is the Bible? Well, we need to understand too that the Bible is actually a book. Now it's more than that because it's God's word. It's God's powerful word. It's different than any other book on your shelf. It's more than just a book, but it's also not less than a book. And here's what we do sometimes is we treat the Bible as less than 
a piece of a, a work of art and a piece of literature, and we basically shut off our brain to everything we understand about how to read and understand literature because we're in a, in a false sense of wanting to, to validate or lift up the Bible, we actually, we actually de-elevate uh, it. Listen to what John Lennox said. He said, it would be a pity if in a desire rightly to treat the Bible as more than a book, we end up treating it as less than a book by not permitting it the range and use of language, order, and figures of speech that are or ought to be familiar to us from our ordinary experience of conversation and reading. So here's what I'm saying. The Bible is not just, it's like holy writings sort of set apart from everything else. It's God's word, but it's also written in literary forms. So within the Bible, you have to understand that there is poetry, there is metaphor, there is analogy, there's actually sarcasm. One of the funniest things ever is when Christians quote verses that are sarcastic and they say, this is what God, you're going, that's a sarcastic verse. And you only know that by actually approaching it as literature and understanding the literary forms. That in the Bible, you have historical narrative. You have history. In the Bible, you have metaphor analogy. I mentioned this. You have all these different genres. And I want you to understand this. We get this when we read uh, all types of things. When you read the news, when you read books, we, we, we get that there's a full range and order of meaning. And sometimes we don't approach the Bible and allow God to speak to us through the way that he was speaking in that moment through that literary form. Let me give you an example of this. So for instance, in the book of Psalms, where it says, he will hide me in the shadow of his wings. If you were to take that literalistically, you would say, God has wings. We know that God has wings. God's word says it. My Bible says God has wings. How many of you though, when you hear that, what do you hear when somebody says, He's going to hide me under the shadow of his wings. We're talking about metaphor, We're talking about analogy. We understand that, the clear meaning. If I tell you, hey, I was late for work, and so I flew down Beltline to get to the office. How many of you think that Pastor Jake has the power of flight? Please, God, in Jesus' name. Come on, I want it, I want it, I want it. No, what do you understand? I was going fast, okay? So we get that in ordinary language, but sometimes we turn off our brains and we look at the scripture and we don't allow God to speak to us through the literary form. Another example of this in the book of Psalms, there's literally verses where it says, I will dash, dash, Lord, dash my enemies' babies' heads against the rocks. Hmm, that doesn't sound very much like Jesus. Now, if we took that and we didn't allow the literary form to speak to us in ordinary range and sense of meaning, we would come up with a very, very skewed and evil theology and approach to life. So what do we have there? What we have there is the desperate brokenhearted prayer of a desperate individual crying out to God in the anguish of the soul, which we all experience the, the level of anger and rage where, man, it's like, oh, I would kill somebody. I'm so mad. This is such an injustice that I'm walking through. It's a prayer. We need to actually see it for what it is and not look at the Bible monolithically as if it's all one thing. Okay, are you with me? Okay, I got to go through this. So the Bible is a book. It's, it's, it's more than that, but it's not less. The Bible is a story. So you also have theme and you have movement through the, the, the Bible. The Bible is not like basic instructions before leaving earth. We dumb it down so much. That's actually not what it is. Um, it's not this like field guide, how to live your life and be perfect and get out of a hell free card. It's not what it is. The Bible is a story. It's the story of creation. It's this grand movement where God comes into the physical, he creates physical reality, time and space. And he paints this beautiful tapestry of creation and God shows up in the very beginning. And then we, he creates us, but we mess it up. So you see the story of the fall. And then through the old Testament, you see all of the ramifications of the fall and how people are trying to do God's thing, but they can't, they're, they're powerless. And so then the story comes and Jesus shows up on the scene where God actually becomes a man, steps into our story, invades our mess and helps us. And by trusting in him, then you can move into resurrection and restoration and glory where we reconnect with God. I'm, this is good. Okay. You with me? 
All right, so we reconnect. So the Bible is a story. It's this incredible, beautiful story. But if you're trying to see it as like, well, what are my basic instructions before leaving earth? What do I have to do today so I can check the box? You've missed the fact that God wants you to find a relationship with him and your place in his grand story. And it's not this like clean and easy check boxes, textbook type of a thing. It's a story. And it's really the story of God. It's the story of God's working in history. And it's God's love letter and story to you, our wonderful dear sister, Lori Harpam. I don't know if she's here when I'm going to promote her book, but she, she's gone today, unfortunately. She wrote an incredible book called The Proposal, which is going to be available at all major retailers soon. Is that right, Mark? Yes. About the story of the Bible. How many of you want to get that? Come on. To look at the whole story. But it's primarily the story of our need for Jesus and how we can find our place in God's story. The Bible, number three, is also truth. It's God's word. And this is where we, most of us would tend to see it, but it's authoritative in our lives as it reveals God to us. So the Bible actually tells us who God is. We get, uh, we, we get to see the heart of God, the character of God, the nature of God. And we get to see how we sort of measure up or don't measure up and where we kind of fall flat of God. And, and it allows us even, it, it tells us truth about God and it does give us those basic instructions before leaving earth. I thought you said it wasn't that. Well, it isn't that exclusively, but it also is that. Because the Bible is full of commands and instructions and teaching for us to build our life on so we can learn how to live. But let's go into this. Why do Christians believe and trust the Bible? Why, why do we as Christian people say the Bible's our foundation? I think it's important to understand that the Bible is this thing that we call propositional revelation, or at least it's in the Bible. Propositions merely mean this. A proposition is a statement that is either true or false. So if I tell you I am Jacob Schmelzer, I am 25% uh, Sicilian and of the rest mutt, so I'm just going to own that Sicilian identity. I'm 35 years old. These are propositions, okay? They're either propositions that are true or they are propositions that are false. Now, what's fascinating about the Bible and, and specifically looking at the Bible through a Christian worldview is that the Bible makes propositions about God um, that are open to being verified or falsified. In other words, we can observe them, we can test them, we can see, is it true or false? And this really takes faith and, and belief outside of the realm of the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and, and, and sort of fantasy land and, and, and up there. It actually brings it down into the realm of ra reason and, and uh, rationality. And so the Bible actually presents these types of truths. So why do we as Christians actually accept these propositions about God? Why do we trust the Bible? Well, number one, it's because it can be tested and it passes the test. Again, it's verifiable and falsifiable. So one category that we see the Bible speak into is, hist is history, that the Bible speaks to us historically. Now, this is very interesting that the foundation of Christianity is uniquely rooted in history. So unlike any other religion, Christians, we actually believe that if Jesus didn't actually live 2,000 years ago, that if he didn't actually die on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, and that if he didn't actually rise from the dead and be observed by all these, his followers and people, then, then our faith is basically hogwash. Do you hear me? Now, I want you to understand just how scandalous and dangerous something like that is. You see, what you will find in most other religions, and I'm not criticizing other people's worldviews or religions, but what you will find is typically this. Such and such a thing happened, and yes, it's not verifiable or falsifiable. You just have to believe it. Except for Christianity is extremely different than that, especially early Christianity, because they would say, hey, 
We were there. We touched him. We saw him. This is what we experienced. It actually happened. And therefore, if this dude actually raised from the dead, then we need to listen to what he said about who he was. And all people had to do was say, nah, it didn't happen. Didn't even happen. But yet Christianity is rooted in history and it's critical to our faith. And early Christians, they fully believed in the historicity, the historical truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus and of the scriptures, so much so that they actually died for it. So you know what? You got to understand, if you're sort of like thinking, maybe Jesus rose from the dead, if you're one of the 12 disciples, right? You're one of Jesus' guys. You're Peter or John or James, or maybe you're Mary Magdalene or one of the ladies that were with Jesus. And, and, and you got to know that all 12 of Jesus' disciples, they actually went on to either be attempted to be martyred or they were actually martyred. And they had many opportunities to say, no, I think I was confused. No, I think that I was mistaken. I don't know if he actually died, but they didn't. They actually held on to that belief that it was true, not just metaphorically, spiritually, religiously true, but actually true that they literally saw this dude rise from the dead. In fact, there was a guy named Thomas, and many of you would hear him called Doubting Thomas, right? Because he didn't really believe that Jesus had raised from the dead. And they were like, no, no, Thomas, we saw him. And he's like, ah, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus. He came in the room. And he's like, Tommy, check it out, bro. Spear hole, right? Holes in my hand. Put your hand, touch me, feel it. Thomas, he actually touches Jesus, which is, that's gross, right? Puts his hand in there, germs and all that, but he was resurrected, so it was okay. He touches his wounds. Thomas then gives the rest of his life serving the, 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 the mission of the gospel. He goes and preaches. We actually know from history that Thomas, doubting Thomas, the, the disciple, he ends up in southern India at some point in his life, and he's preaching to the people in southern India. And actually, Thomas gets speared to death with like these long, thin, slender spears these guys used. Now, I want you to put yourself in this situation. When you're becoming a human shish kebab, okay, when that first spear goes into your gut, isn't that a moment where you would reevaluate your views? <laughs> How many of you would say, if I was a little bit confused, if I was just a little bit unsure, and all I needed to do to get out of this moment was basically say, I didn't happen, or I recant, or I, I'm out. How many of you think that when that first poke started to happen, you would say, please, no, right? You would say something and yet it didn't happen. And then you go disciple by disciple by disciple. The only disciple that wasn't martyred was John. And they tried to martyr him. They boiled him in oil. At what point when you're about ready to become extra crispy chicken, do you say, I think I made a mistake? History, the historical reality of Jesus. They died for it. Jesus' own mother and brothers believed that he was God. They believed that he rose from the dead. Why? Because they saw him. And then later on, you look at the bibliographic evidence, the quality, the quantity, the recency of the manuscripts. Again, we're talking about the Bible. Why do we accept it and believe it? It's not just because we believe it. Oh, I just believe it. It's God's word. No, it actually is verifiable and testable. And we see this uh, through all the different ways we would actually analyze something like this. The quality, the quantity, and the recency of manuscripts. When you just look at the bibliographic evidence for the way that we scientifically approach validating or invalidating historical documents, one of the things you need to understand about the Bible is that there are so many copies of the, the scrolls and the scraps and the manuscripts that the Bible is correlated, that is brought together from. Like, did you know Jesus didn't go down to like Evangel Christian Bookstore in Jerusalem and buy a King James Bible? 
just really quick, if you're one of those Christians who's like, the King James Bible is the only accurate translation, I just want to tell you, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Um, because I saw the first King James Bible, I actually saw the original one at Shakespeare's grave, and it was done in like 1611. And I'm not a scholar, but I know Jesus was a little bit before that. So he didn't use King James Version. But anyways, um, they had all these scrolls and different manuscripts and things like that. And that's what we compile the Bible from. Now, how many of you would actually say you believe uh, that Alexander the Great existed? Anybody? Alexander the Great? About 20% of us. Okay, so Alexander the Great. <laughs> Alexander the Great is a known, notable historical figure. He, he does exist. We have like statues and stuff of him all over the place, in case you're um, not believing in Alexander the Great. I appreciate that we have many more believers in Jesus than Alexander the Great here. That's good. <laughs> But we have two ancient biographies about Alexander the Great that are seen as authoritative and fully accurate. In other words, we accept them as fact. And these uh, two ancient biographies, the earliest of them was written 400 years after Alexander the Great lived and died. Now let's go to the New Testament. The New Testament, we don't have two. We don't have 20. We don't have 200. We don't have 2,000. When I wrote this sermon, and they find more every day, but we had 25,000 extant copies of New Testament, just New Testament documents. Um, it far, so far surpasses and outweighs every other historical document in its validity, the quantity, the quality of manuscripts. We have the entire Bible in ancient form in all the different scraps, multiple times repeated, you know, over and over and over and over and over and over. It's not even close. There's no debate about this in scholarly circles. Far and away, we have so many copies of the New Testament writings, new, the, the, even the Old Testament writings, far and away. But it's not just the quantity and quality of these manuscripts. It's actually even the recency of when they were written. So we talked about Alexander the Great, the two biographies, 400 years later, yet we go, hey, it's the best we got. It's historical fact, and it's so far as we know. But the New Testament, the writings of the New Testament were actually done as early as 15 years after the events took place. Now, I want you to go back 15 years. It's 2019. Am I right? Okay, did anything good happen in 2004? I don't remember. Did anything good happen? Let's go back to the Gulf War. How many of you remember the Gulf War? No, let's go back a little bit further. Let's go, let's go, yeah, Gulf War. Let's do that. So that's what, early 90s? How many of you were alive in the early 90s? How many of you remember the Gulf War? Do you guys remember when Canada invaded Russia? What? Yeah, Canada. They mobilized. They were all on moose. don't you know we're going to take over your country, eh? You know? <laughs> How many of you remember this? No, because that's not what happened. Well, yeah, but that, guys, that was 30 years ago. How do you remember? You know the facts. Canada didn't, they don't have a military. They just put maple syrup out there for the world. You know, it's <laughs> too polite to go to war. Well, what do you mean? What are you talking about, Jake? This is a weird analogy. Okay. The point is this. You know that the Gulf War wasn't fought between Canada and Russia. We are at least familiar that it happened in a different region of the world, the Middle East. Maybe Iraq was involved, Kuwait, the United States, right? Are you with me? Is that sounding a little bit more accurate? Okay, that was 25, 30 years ago. And yet in this room right now, you can immediately just immediately know, man, what you're telling us about Canada fighting Russia is, is hogwash. It's nonsense. So I want you to think about people going around saying, hey, did you know Jesus you know, Jesus of Nazareth, he was that guy that was teaching and healing the sick. Oh yeah, he was huge. He was popular. Yeah. Remember when he like died and rose from the dead? They're like, yeah, I did hear about that. 
You know, if you were to say, these are the events that happened, and yet it was completely just like completely made up, you'd have a problem. Are you with me? So the recency of manuscripts, even as early as 15 years after, it really defeats this legend or sort of, you know, murky history kind of perspective. The reality is that these early Christians actually believed in the historical nature and the, the copies of the manuscripts that we now call the New Testament are right there from that very time period, uh, very well seen. I don't have time to go into archaeology. If you're interested, I can talk to you about that later. But there has been not one single uh, serious historical archaeological survey that has ever contravened any uh, serious theme of the, the Bible or anything. And there have been a few where they said, this totally disproves the Bible. And later those studies were disproved. And, and I um, have studied this extensively. I'd be happy to share my research with you and turn you on to the right books to read if you'd like to see this. But incredible scholars like Nelson Gluick, uh, Dr. William F. Albright, incredible scholars have looked into this, uh, both from a historical perspective, archaeological, and also philosophy of science and archaeology, even examining the methods and means. And I'll just say, archaeology itself is actually demonstrably in favor of the authenticity and accuracy of the Christian scriptures. Number two. <laughs> that was just number one. Okay. Number two. Why do Christians accept and believe and trust the Bible? Because, number two, it's intellectually viable. So the Bible doesn't just give us facts. doesn't just give us events like out of the New Testament. Yeah, Jesus lived and died. So what? Okay, the Bible also speaks to us about our condition. The Bible presents a cohesive worldview that actually satisfyingly answers the deep questions about why is there something rather than nothing, origin, about truth, how do we know what we know, and how do we validate and verify what we know, about meaning, why am I on this planet, what is life about, and about morality, how should I live in the light of this human existence? The Bible actually speaks into these categories of life, and yet the Bible is very often challenged at an intellectual level. You'll hear people say, well, you know, yeah, but there's like supernatural stuff, crazy stuff in the Bible. What about that? Isn't that just, shouldn't that just like invalidate the Bible? Well, no, because if you assume that the world is only a natural world, then yes. But if actually there's the possibility that the universe is supernatural in nature and that what we can empirically interact with, with our five senses is not all that there is and is not completely explanatory of, of, of reality, and if Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then the supernatural does not invalidate the Bible. And then you have misunderstandings, intellectual challenges that come. If you read what are called the new atheists, men like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, they're kind of the angry atheists, like, well, God was vindictive and he was, he was you know, advocating slavery and rape and murder. How many of you have heard this kind of stuff? You see, we got to understand when you go into the Old Testament, again, it's an unfolding story and there's a huge difference, and hear this now, there's a huge difference between what God affirms and what God allows, okay? If you want to see accurate theology, perfect theology, you want to see perfect morality, you have to listen to what Jesus said as the culmination, really, really clarifying everything God always wanted. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So what we see in the Old Testament, when you have what appear to be contradictory things, like why, is, why do God's you know, faithful men like Abraham and David and these guys have multiple wives? Why are they practicing polygamy? God is not affirming that. He is allowing that as he is continuing his revelation to these people. You see what I'm saying? Why does God speak into things like slavery and things like that? Because he's dealing with these cultures as they navigate the life and the situation of their time God helps us at the level that we're out at. And how many of you are glad that God allows some things inside of us that he doesn't affirm? Because how many of you would say, yeah, I qualify to be smoked by a bolt of lightning 
with the things I've done in my life. And yet God is merciful and gracious to allow some things to go on, but, he's, he, but that's not what he affirms. God's perfect plan and perfect morality and perfect truth is revealed in Christ, okay? So a lot of these sort of contradictions and intellectual challenges are, are resolved when we understand there's a difference between what God allows and what God affirms. Okay, and last one, and we're gonna end on this. Number three, the Bible is practically and spiritually valuable. Just to say this as we close, that when you follow it, it works. Again, when Jesus says, build your life on my teachings, follow them, listen and follow. You're building your, your life on the rock. And thousands of people, even people that have actually come against the Bible and wanted to disprove it, have found as they leaned in that they actually found the God of the Bible revealed to them and recognized their need for him and there was transformative power and that if you will pursue God, even through the, the pursuit of his, his word and through the scriptures, you can find him. It says in Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So I would say this, if you're a follower of Jesus, why would you not be tearing open the Bible every day to get a glimpse of God and what he's up to in this world and in your life? I wanna just talk to two people today. How should we respond? Number one, if you're a believer, I wanna challenge you to devote yourself to studying and applying the word not just devotional reading, but Bible study, like actually finding out what is God saying throughout this whole book. I'd love to help some of you if you have a, a desire to really understand, to really lean in and, and, and seek out what God is saying in all the different literary forms and in the history and in the different uh, books of the Bible and the overarching theme. Like, let's study the Bible. Let's not just be Christians who are like, yeah, I just opened my, my app and I read my verse of the day. It's like taking, you know, a, a verse a day to keep the devil away. That, that there's more for us than that. There's a reason why living as lights in a dark place in this generation, people that are called to go on mission, we need to also be relevant as Christians to understand why, what we believe and why, and at least be conversant with the questions that our generation is asking of us so that we're not coming across as like, <laughs> you know, yokels, Right. Um, it's okay as a Christian to say, I don't have all the answers. Like, I don't have all the answers, but I know why I believe what I believe. And that, that I think is good and should be expected of all thinking peoples who are gonna have civil discourse in the marketplace of ideas. So as Christians, it's important that we are conversant at least up to a place of being able to say, this is what I believe and this is why I accept the Bible. Okay, if you are a skeptic here today, right? Uh, don't worry, I wasn't gonna let you get out of here without talking to you as well. I wanna challenge you to read the gospels I want to challenge you to form your own conclusions. I want to challenge you not to allow your presuppositions or maybe what you heard on a YouTube video by a guy who sounded really smart, but was really just angry and had some problems emotionally, needed to go to therapy, but was really taking it out on God and Christians. Um, like, don't let that be the whole thing that robs you of the opportunity to encounter Jesus Christ as he is revealed in scripture. Uh, because so many thinking people that have actually taken that time to like honestly approach scriptures and lean in and look at the New Testament and read what's actually being said and what's there have actually encountered Christ. So I just, I want to challenge you, get your questions answered, like send them into our website. We're not hiding from the questions of culture. Like we believe if, if it's true, then it's true. Come on. If you have a question that like completely invalidates Christianity, then I'll be the first to go watch NFL football with you on Sundays. Um, but, but we want your questions. And I don't, I'm not saying we have all the answers, but it's okay to ask those questions. 
Go on that pursuit of God. If you think the Bible is contradictory, lean in, find out. Is it full of problems, right? Uh, if you, anybody's interested, I want you to read this book, New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and look at the evidence that is there for why Christians believe and accept and follow the Bible. All right, that's all I have for you today. <laughs> so, how many of you are like, yeah, I want to go read my Bible. I want to go check it out. Lean in a little bit. If I offended you or you have questions about something I said, please feel free to email me. Uh, you can send us an email, pastorjake at joyeugene.com, and that will get to me. And after my vacation, I will get back to you. Um, but, but seriously, for anybody, I, I, I want you to hear my heart. Talking about the Bible and all of the things I said in a 30 or 45 minute message is impossible. So please hear what I said. Don't hear what I didn't say. And if you have questions about what I didn't say, ask them and we'll talk about it, okay? Awesome. Hey, if you're here today, let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I came here to find God. I came here to find answers. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I don't have it all figured out, but I know I need him in my life. This is your moment to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And I want to tell you right now that, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out, all the theology, all the questions. Like you can trust in Jesus, recognizing that you need a savior, just like all of us do. If that's you today and you're like, Pastor Jake, I need Jesus to save me. I need him to rescue me. I need him to transform me from the inside out. I want to be part of the family of God. If that's you today and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, would you raise your hand where I can see? Thank you. That's awesome. 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 Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. I thank you that you gave your life for me. 2,000 years ago on the cross. I give you my life today. All my successes, all my failures, I bring them to you and I ask you for your life. I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen.